0: My name is Mike Smith, I work for the U.S. Navy, and I'm an engineer. Hi, my name is Fernando Feliciano, and I'm the Postmaster of Linwood, Washington.
1: I'm Michaela Testerman, I'm a senior at King's High School, and I also work at Chick-fil-A. I work for Premier Blue Cross. I drive bus for the city of Everett. Uh, I work for Boeing.
0: I work at the Boeing Company. Boeing. 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 And I work at Boeing.
1: I am a Spanish to English translator.
0: And I have a stained glass studio
1: in downtown Edmonds, and I also work here at the church.
0: Good to see you. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I got a little uh, issue with my voice this morning, so you pray that we get through it. We made through the first service. No, I didn't get it yelling at the Huskies on uh, Friday night. Uh, sometimes that's the case, but this wasn't uh, one of those. Uh, have you recovered from uh, Thanksgiving, the the food coma that they talk about? And my problem is is the reentry. Uh, I, I just, it dawned on me, I was telling Annette this, that the reason I like that holiday so much is it's really one of the few times I have two consecutive days off. I've uh, got some vacation days, and things like that, but this is like two days off, and I typically don't do that. I take one day off in the week, and, and it's just kind of nice. I don't know what to do with myself. It was just kind of nice and quiet, and, uh, but I hope you had a good time, good time with, uh, hopefully, with family, friends, whoever uh, you were with. We are excited today. We're in the final message of a series we've been in, regarding how do we glorify God through our work. It's called In All, All We Do. Um, and we're gonna be looking at Colossians chapter three in just a moment. You can begin to turn there on your device or whatever you brought in. But if you'd like a Bible, we've got some available. I'm sure she'll make one available to you in a moment. Um, as they do, a couple of things just wanted to give you a heads up on. Um, we, we are looking so forward to January when we're going to launch into a series kind of like we've not done before, at least since I've been here. It's going to, we're calling it 40 Days in the Word, and you're going to start seeing a lot of signs and a lot of opportunities to, to get involved in this uh, in the coming days and weeks. Um, want to give you a heads up, though. Most uh, all of our life groups, and there's six, seven, 800 of you that are involved in those, you're going to be aligned, as usual, with our messages and with, with our theme. But there are many of you that are not, and what we're asking is to consider, would you like to be involved for these 40 days, for this six-week period, to be involved in one of these groups? You're gonna see a card in the seat back in front of you. Uh, and if you'll fill that out and drop it off out in the lobby, there's, there's a place set up, you're gonna see it, uh, and let them know about it. But there's also a, uh, an opportunity for some of you that, that might wanna like, test the waters of what it feels like to facilitate a group. Uh, all, all the material is going to be given to you. Uh, you've got the, the things in your hand. In fact, we're going to provide some training events for you. Um, those are going to happen next Tuesday, or no, excuse me, uh, the second, which is next Sunday, at the end of this service for 30 minutes. We're going to be training our hosts of, of this uh, uh, time, and then we're gonna have a second opportunity on the 9th of December, that being two weeks from today, uh, in between the services. So if you come to 11, just get here a half hour early and you'll have it or uh, stay late for a nine o'clock service. So um, we, we wanna really give you an opportunity to connect with some friends, maybe coworkers, a few neighbors, or family members, get two or three people to walk through this together. This, this is unique because we're gonna be using some video curriculum. In addition to my messages that we'll share on the weekend, you'll have the notes from that, questions, things like that, but there's going to be a teaching, and and the goal of this series is about coming into a relationship with the Word of God like you've never had before. We want you to love the Word in ways like you never have, to learn it and understand how to study it, how to glean from it, what it has for you, and then finally to put it into practice and to live it jesus said you know if you hear these words of mine and then you do those you're like a person who builds a house on a rock remember that and i've just noticed over the years of my teaching that i've assumed that you have a devotional life that you know what to do when you approach the bible but we have never intentionally taught along these lines and that's what we're going to do uh, for that period why six weeks why 40 days because that's how long it takes to uh, develop a habit that's what it takes to transform a life and so we're going to devote, we're going to be coming alongside, encouraging one another, and we come out the other end, I am convinced that there's going to be some life transformation uh, and testimonies of that like we've never heard before. So be praying about that. The workbooks are going to be available in two weeks, on the, the 9th of December, and they'll be out in the lobby. We're going to make them available for $5, and normally they're like 14 or 15 I think, something like that, but we're going to supplement that so it makes it affordable for you. So all this stuff's coming down. Keep it in prayer, but I'm really excited about the first year when we're going to launch into it. One other testimony, can I quickly share with you guys some good news? You like to hear good news? Uh, Thanksgiving, one of the things I'm so thankful for is just seeing how God has worked in many of your lives and the families that are here. We did a series of teaching, um, again, kind of a unique time. Normally we'll spend a week or two in the fall, but we spent four weeks on the theme of stewardship. And upon aligning ourselves with God's, uh, God's will as far as in, in trusting him with our first fruit and our, the resources we have, we call it the ABCs of financial freedom. And boy, I'm hearing more and more testimonies of families that have been impacted by that by making the commitment to put him first and to begin to tithe for the first time. Uh, I told our leaders, very specific, I said, you know, this isn't like our first and best offering where we do one weekend and we all kind of challenge to see what a tithe would look like and we celebrate because it's, it's exceptional, and this year was exceptional. I was more interested this time about, about life change, about transformation, uh, lifestyle differences, and, and not doing it just for a one and done, but for, you know, really for the rest of your life to begin to understand the promises of God. So for that reason, I didn't give you reports after the first week or the second week or the third week, you know, this is the end of November. And I kind of committed myself, let's just see what the difference in the month has been. Now, you guys know when you get your life together, the little piece of paper you got in your hand, we don't do what I call a scorecard. Some churches, you know, they got the numbers and the offerings and what your budget is and all, we just don't do that. Uh, but it's good for you to know perspective and context. So. Just for background or context, what our giving was like in September, for example, our average is like in the mid-40s to upper 40s. Uh, our budget is right around 60, okay, weekly. This is weekly giving. In October, it was like in, in the 50s. It was in the mid-50s, uh, uh, upper 50s. Usually the month goes a two-hump camel where you have a high, high week and then goes kind of back down then comes back up and like that. Um, So this this November, since you made those commitments, the first week uh, the giving was $88,000, okay? That's the most we've had other than a first and best in years, and I thought, okay, next week is the low part. It was 86,000 the second week. And the third week was 68,000. And so what this is telling me, hopefully this is a trend, but it's telling me that those of you that have made that commitment, this is making a difference. And this morning, I'm just so I'm kind of moving, but this morning, I didn't ask for this, but a gal came up and just said, I can't tell you the difference that it's made in our family since we began tithing. And she started giving me uh, testimony after testimony. And it wasn't just the, the blessing or the tangible physical things, but the difference in their family because of work and the nature of the work and the nature of what was happening at work and how God had provided more than they expected. And they're just seeing this and that it's, it's impacting their family, their marriage, everything. Those, those are the kind of things I prayed for, and it's happening. So I just want to give you a testimony that God is good, isn't he? He is so good, thank you guys. Thank you for your faithfulness. Today what we're gonna do is we're going to, uh, this is the last, last message in this series, and <clears throat> I wanted to take you back to Colossians, uh, where we kind of launched this from. There was a passage, Colossians 3, verse 23, And that's where we derive the title of this series, In All You Do. Because we're talking about our careers, our work life, our vocation, our jobs, okay? And we know God's interested in all these other dimensions, our moral life, our relational life, and, uh, you know, our financial life like we talked about. But we haven't really specifically talked about what does he feel about the work that we do? How should we feel about that? We talked about uh, the first week, the purpose behind this. That God himself is a worker, and he's made you and I like him, and so we carry out, like God, the the calling, the work that he's called us to do. We saw how he shapes us in the jobs we're at. He shapes our character and our lives uh, through that. We talked about how he prepares us in the second week. Every one of us here this morning are uniquely, distinctly made in the image of God. You were formed in, in your mother's womb for a purpose, and so uh, one of the great joys is this discover, what were you made for? And so we addressed that the second week and we began to consider, wow, you know, what, what would it really be like to align myself with that calling? Last week we talked about the characteristics that God kind of gives a tailwind to. We looked at the life of Joseph, you remember? And some of the things that Joseph portrayed, even in the most difficult of circumstances, he honored God, and because of his faithfulness and his integrity and his honesty, um, his diligence at working you know, for those who he was under, God continued to promote him, and it, to eventually he was second in charge of all of Egypt, the most powerful country in the world, going from prison to that kind of power. This was an amazing uh, event, we could learn, learn from that. So today, we're going to uh, spend this last week uh, you know, looking, looking at uh, another aspect of that. But before we do, I want to revisit Colossians 3 real quickly. And if you happen to be turning there, um, I want you to pick up at verse 16 with me. All right? Brought my glasses back again. All right? Get used to them. I think this is, a, this is going to be, be a regular thing. It was nice to see what I was reading and not paraphrasing uh, before. Verse 16... He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Would you skip down to verse 22? He says, bond servants, and you might just read in there, employees, workers, okay, employees, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, those would be your bosses, okay? Uh, Your supervisor, your manager, for example. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Okay? So two times there in Colossians, back to back, he's saying, whatever you do, and this caught my attention because in both of these cases, there is an attitude attached to whatever you do that I just want to remind us. In fact, there is a third occasion where Paul uses that same phrase. It's over in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And, and there, he says, whatever you do, he says, do it all to the glory of God, okay? Now, the three attitudes that I just remind us of, as, as we're kind of, kind of summing up this whole series, this month, as, as we've been zeroing in on, um, on the jobs and the, and the work that we were, we're a part of, the first one he says, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. But then he adds this little phrase, with thanksgiving. There's the attitude. Are you thankful for what God has provided you for? Do you approach your work? Monday morning, do you walk in with a thankful heart? I don't know when you sat around the table uh, on Thursday and maybe you, like many families, you'll go around and just give a testimony of what you're thankful for. Was your job one of those things? you know is is that the heart and the attitude the filter that that everything goes through when it comes to your work the second one he says in all you do whatever you do he says do it as if you're working for the lord he says he's your boss he's your master he said he's the one uh, that that we're to please not to be men pleasers but to work as if it's for the lord and so the attitude is one of perspective to keep our eyes on Him, and not just on this plane of those that we tangibly might be, uh, you know, reporting to, but we're always, we're always, to report to the Lord. He is our, He's our, our, um, our Master. And then the last one is to glorify God. And all you do, glorify God. This is the thing that actually sparked this whole message was the glory of God. And I've I mentioned this several times, but. But when you think of glory in something, it means you're revealing something about God's character or nature that up to that point you don't really know or appreciate. So if your life is, is glorifying God, it's, it's something about what you're doing that might cause others who are watching to say, wow, so that's what God is like. And, and in our work in particular, if we're glorifying God by that work, uh, Jesus had said in John 17, he said, I have glorified you, Father, by completing the work that you called me to do. Now think about that. Jesus glorified the Father by carrying out and being obedient to God and the calling that was upon, upon his life. And so I just wanted to remind us this way because, you know, Solomon over in Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon said, uh, that if you can find satisfaction in your work, that is a gift from God. And that that really should spur on the gratitude and the thankfulness, shouldn't it? To know if you are uh, satisfied, if you are being fulfilled in the work that you do or have done, that's a gift from God. So today, (laughs) I thought I would reserve for this last message kind of dealing with the elephant in the room. (laughs) What happens if you don't like your work? What happens if it is, it is just awful and, you, and you, you just really, really don't enjoy going there? Maybe you've got the boss from you know where, all right? And you're thinking, why did God put me in this, this place? What do you do in situations where the stress and the problems of work seem to overtake you? How do you maintain a Christian walk to be a follower of Christ in, in an adverse situation? That's what we want to deal with today. And so where I'm gonna take you is to a place in scripture that talks about a couple of coworkers. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've thanked the Lord that this was recorded in scripture. Because when you think about the great apostle Paul, don't you think about somebody that's kinda of high up there on the pedestal? I mean, he's the guy that wrote most of the New Testament. He's the one that's challenging us how to live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, right? He's the guy. Well, I'm glad that the Scripture records that that guy had a real difficult time with a coworker. <laughs> Isn't that comforting to know? Well, let me take you there. It's in, it's in Acts chapter 15, and we're going to spend most of the rest of our time in the book of Acts. If you have your notes in front of you, um, I... Uh, I just stop and I think, you know, as you're walking through these notes, m- most of the problems that we have are personality problems. Wouldn't you agree? They've got a name and a face to them. And you've probably already got that picture in your mind. And probably throughout this morning, you're gonna keep, keep going back maybe to a picture, maybe pictures, but, but they're personality problems. And, and that's understandable because it's all about these, these relationships. And, uh, and so when we look at our story today, our story is between two co-workers. One's name is Paul, as you know, the great apostle Paul, and then the other is Barnabas. And I'm going to start off by just kind of exposing this conflict that they had. And then I want to go back and build the story just a little bit, all right? So if you look at, you know, look at Acts 15. He said, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and he sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul took Silas and he departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. You notice the little word sharp? This was no little disrupt. This was something that even ultimately led to their separation. And, uh, and then we see what happens. You can say, well, that was a blessing of the Lord. Sometimes that's the way that these things work out. God, God uses them. He uses tough people in tough times. Uh, some might liken it to a piece of sandpaper, you know, that, that he uses. It doesn't maybe feel right, but it smooths out those rough edges, right? Some of you feel like the person you're dealing with is more like a chisel, right? <laughs> that he's using to shape you and form you. But this was the situation Paul found himself in. Him and Barnabas. Okay, where, where does this all start? Let me, let me just share a little background with you of the story. In case you're not familiar with, uh, with who we're talking about so much here, uh, Saul of Tarsus was the rising star in Judaism at the time. He, uh, he studied under Gamaliel, who was the teacher of all teachers. It'd be like telling you that you know, your child had an education from Harvard, you know? I mean, he was the guy. And so there was a little pride probably going on there. But eventually he developed this, this, this attitude that said, I'm going to doing God a favor by stomping out this new uh, movement. They called it the way. These were followers of Jesus. And it said he would go anywhere, anyhow, to be able to persecute and to hopefully bring an end to this new, uh, this new movement. Well, he's on his way to Damascus to do just that. Uh, He was a mean guy. Um, You know, prior to this, he apparently had persecuted Stephen, uh, who was a a young man, a young follower of Christ, and they were stoning him because of his faith, and they said they laid his clothes at the feet of this young Saul of Tarsus. He's a bad dude, and he's on his way to get the Christians in Damascus, and on the way, Jesus Christ intercepts him and speaks to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He has an encounter with Jesus. And can I just say to you guys, I hope that every person in this room has had a personal encounter with Jesus. It is not enough to just know about him as a historical figure or try to be like him in your own power and strength. Friends, he wants a personal relationship with you. He knows you. He knows everything you've ever done. And he loves you in spite of it. He laid his life down for you so that if we trust him with our life, that's where the forgiveness of sin comes from when he sets a new course. This is what happened to Saul on the road to Damascus. Uh, the light shone, he, he responded, Lord, who are you? And that from that point on, his life is in the Lord's hands. Here's the only problem. Everybody that knew about Saul, there was a reputation that went before him and they were all afraid of him. Why wouldn't you be? They, they thought he was some kind of spy maybe coming in. You know, and he ultimately was going to come after. Even Christians, man, they were nervous about this, except for one guy, and his name was Barnabas. So, if you look at the top of the note, it said, he said, uh, they were all afraid of him. This is Acts 9. For they did not believe that he was a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostle and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus, he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. The only guy that would stand by him was Barnabas. Takes him to the apostles and, and kind of vouches for him. Barnabas, he had a gift. In fact, his name basically means son of encouragement. So he saw things in people and he was ready to come alongside and, and he did this with this young uh, Saul, this convert. And he became his, his mentor, if you will, or his disciple maker. And Saul was his disciple. And so he started pouring, and I think these guys got tight. I think they got really close um, over the years. And we can kind of fast forward, if we go now a few years later, Barnabas is the pastor, probably the lead pastor, senior pastor or whatever, of a church in Antioch. Antioch's about 150 miles north of Jerusalem. And um, it's probably the farthest reaching of the, the church family at that point. It's the gateway to Asia off over into Turkey and and on. And Barnabas is the leader of this church and the scripture records in chapter 11, it says Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and when he found him he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with a church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Did you know that? That's where Christians uh, got their name was this church, it was a thriving church. And apparently maybe it was growing, it was expanding, Uh, Barnabas wanted some help, who does he call? He calls Saul, he's still called Saul at that point, not Paul. And uh, Saul's down in Tarsus, chances are he is pastoring a group of people that have come out there in Tarsus, but now Barnabas brings him up to Antioch, and it's kind of the dream team, really. Paul would be kind of the teaching pastor or the associate pastor. Barnabas, though, was, was the leader, un- undoubtedly. And so they continued down that path. You guys got, you got get in the picture of their relationship? They're very close. Well, about a year goes on, and then the church recognizes, you know what, we, we need to begin to expand. We need to start going out into the world with this great message. And Paul, we'll call him Paul now, Paul knew that his calling was to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. God had made that clear to him. And so when it came time to anoint them and pray for them and send them out, they sent Paul and Barnabas. And they go out in what we call the first missionary journey, and they go around uh, Turkey today, modern-day Turkey, but a lot of the communities that were there, and they just began sharing the gospel and planting churches all along the way that would emerge. So, that's the background. The question is, how does this conflict happen? There were two things that I noticed that, that could have contributed to them, and I think they're instructive for us today. All right? You see, if you don't uh, identify to some degree with some of the things that, that could have possibly been going on in their relationship. Here's the first thing that I noticed I'll call it an unexpected promotion. Okay? An unexpected promotion. As I read through the book of Acts, and I watch <clears throat> as they begin traveling, as Luke records uh, you know, what's going on, what I eventually see emerging is Barnabas, who was the man. I mean, he was the leader. Now Barnabas seems to be slipping into obscurity, and Paul is now becoming the center figure. All the challenges, all of the, the you know, coming against uh, you know the, the enemy and, and the, 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 the folks out of darkness, it seems like they're all contending with Paul, but you don't read much about Barnabas. But the line that really got me was in Acts 13, when eventually it said, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. That's an important little factor, by the way. That's where it records that John Mark, who was Barnabas' cousin, that joined them on this trip, that he left them. We don't know why. Maybe he was homesick. Maybe, uh, I said maybe he had a girlfriend back home, you know, that he couldn't stand being away from. I don't know what the scenario, it doesn't tell us. All it says is he left them. But here's what got my attention. Now, up to this point, Barnabas has always been, Barnabas and Paul, you read it. Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas was the man, he was the leader. Now, all of a sudden, it's Paul and his companions. It's like, Paul and, what's that guy's name? (laughs) And I I see this shift take place. And here's here's what my observation is that a lot of times when we have conflict in our workplaces, sometimes you can track it back to maybe somebody getting something that you had your eyes on or aspired for and, or you didn't get what you had hoped for and you noticed that it impacted you. And probably the word that I'd use to describe that is the word insecurity. Some insecurity set in. Maybe it was a fear for your job. Maybe it was a fear for your self-esteem or for your recognition, I don't know. But I, I watched this and I think, how would you have responded if you would have been Barnabas? You were the guy. And now all of a sudden this other upstart you know, starts, starts taking all the limelight. I remember when I first uh, went to Florida to pastor, I left here at Bellingham, I was there for eight years. And we got back in Florida, it was a whole different setting, a whole different situation, a much larger church and a lot of organization, a lot of stuff, but I stepped into it, and there was already some things in place, and one of those uh, was from our youth department. And, and in our church there, the youth group had aligned with the other youth in the state, a choir, and one thing led to another in one of their events, and they got this invitation from a Russian group, a comparable Russian group, they were not Christians though. It was like a, a, a student exchange, and they welcomed it, and these kids came over to Florida, and they spent time with our kids, and they built relationship, and, um, and so when I got there, this had already happened, when I got there, they, they had invited our kids to come to Russia, and so when I got there, this trip was kind of all aligned. Well, our youth pastor, Mark Shaner, he, he invited me. He said, Pastor Ken, he says, you wanna, you wanna go on this trip with us? And I said, wow, I've never been to Russia. I, I said, you know, yeah, and... and um, and so we did this. And the interesting thing was, I was, I was a senior pastor. I was a lead pastor. But when I got over there, Mark Shayner was the man. I mean, these people, I won't say worship, but I mean these Russians that were not believers at this point. You know how they became believers was they, here's what actually happened, cool story. The kids, our kids would go into a room uh, for prayer and devotional time while their friends or comparable kids from the Russian group were kind of elsewhere because we weren't going to force them into something but they watched, and they watched how these kids looked on the way out after these prayer times, and they saw something, and they started asking, how, how, can, how can we, what, what, what goes on when you go in that room and you come out like somebody else? What's going on? And they gave a chance to witness to Jesus, and many of these kids gave their heart to the Lord, to the point where a nucleus was established, and we actually, from our church, planted a church in Chilabinsk, Russia, on that little seed right there, but my point was, is it was Mark Shaner. He was the guy. And uh, I had to deal with that. You know what I'm saying? You had to deal with that and say, you know, how do you feel about that? I, I was lead pastor only in title. But, but that's kind of what happens to Barnabas and Paul. And how do you deal with that kind of insecurity? Notice James gives us some insight in James chapter four. And he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? In other words, you have, you have a desire for something and you don't get what you want. That's what he's saying. This is where the conflict comes from. Or worse, somebody else gets what you want. <laughs> that even makes it tougher, doesn't it? Somebody else gets that promotion that you had your eye on. Or aspires, you know, toward an area that you thought maybe maybe would be you. Does that ever happen? I um, I just think about this scenario as they're working together, and um, and this unfolds. Here, here was the second thing I observed. There was another episode that took place. Let me just describe it for you. When they got back from this trip, uh, that first missionary journey, they had led many Gentiles to the Lord, but a problem emerged the Jewish guys back home in Jerusalem had this notion that they had to become Jews first before they could truly be a Christian. So they thought by being a Jew, the outward symbol was circumcision. So they said, okay, you know, when are we gonna start circumcising these Gentiles, these new believers, so that they'll truly be a Christian? And this just blew Paul away. He couldn't believe it. Read the book of Galatians sometimes. You'll see how he really feels about it. This made him so angry and upset. And so again, if you're looking on the front page of your, your note, there's a passage that says, after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Them is the Judaizers that we just described. And so what they did, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. We call it the Council of Jerusalem. It, it was one of the first crises that the church faced. And, and while they're there, they debated over it, they talked about it, Peter stood up and gave a defense and talked and James, uh, the leader of the church, and, and finally James decides, he says, you know, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna accept them just as they are, Except that we're gonna warn them about sexual immorality Says that, that is, because out there in, in that part of the world, you know, it was rampant. Sexual immorality and, and food that was off, uh, offered or sacrificed to idols. Those are the two, two stipulations that we would uh, warn them about. Other than that, they're part of us. That was the decision. Well, Paul, Paul records, Luke didn't record this in Acts, but over in Galatians, Paul records something that happened. Watch what happens. Now we're back on the, the, the point about the trust. He says, For before certain men came from James, these are, these are those Judaizers, these are these, these guys that were part of the, the circumcision, okay? Well, when they came, he said, uh, When they came, he drew back. And he's talking about Peter right now. He drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So he's saying, this guy that I've been so close to, he's been my mentor, he's been my friend, we've traveled together, we've served together side by side, but man, when I saw this go on, and the hypocrisy Uh, to line up with these circumcision because he feared men maybe more than he feared God. Paul was incensed over this. And I would have to say, I'd sum it up in the phrase, he lost his trust. To a certain degree, he lost his trust in Barnabas at that point. I wanna ask you guys, have you ever found yourself in or are you in a situation where maybe it was a friend or somebody that you knew that actually invited you into the job that you're doing? There was a relationship kind of inherent there. It's not uncommon. In fact, it's probably more common than not where you heard about it or somebody steered you a certain way and you're there because of somebody that kind of took you under and, and, and then maybe as because of the close relationship, you see things and you experience things and in this case, he sees something that just breaks his heart. Now, it doesn't totally destroy the relationship, but I point it out because these are the kinds of things, friends, that go into the problems at work. There's something behind those. And, and you have to pay attention to that. You have to look at that and appreciate some of the components that are going into why you're at the place where you're at. It doesn't happen overnight. There's, there's issues. There's issues that probably in, in our life that go way back that are filters that we're looking through. And in this case, if there's loss of trust for for a tangible reason like Paul had with Barnabas, now you begin to understand that when they got back to Antioch and Paul proposed to Barnabas, and he says, he says, hey, you know, that was a great thing we did in that first trip, but we need to go back to those folks and follow up and see how they're doing. So he proposed that, and Barnabas said, you know, that's a good idea. He said, I'll go get my cousin uh, John Mark and, and, and we'll go. And he says, no, we're not taking him again. We're not taking him again. He abandoned us once and, and, and we're not gonna have that again. What is Barnabas's name? Son of encouragement. He wanted to give him a second chance. And he and Paul disagreed over something like that. But could it be that some of these other components were looming in the background? That they were, they were filters by which this sharp disagreement happened and it's important to pay attention to those ask ourselves the tough questions and so as we shift gears this morning that's what i want to do i want to make this very personal this doesn't mean anything unless we put it into practice right so when we get into these tough questions are you willing to go there? Are you willing to look at the context and maybe the, the other circumstances that may be contributing to why some of these relationships might not be where you, you hope they, they would be? When I first laid out the series, I got this idea to invite a friend, uh, John DeWall, to come and do an interview with us this weekend. And I'd mentioned that the first week that we were going to invite. Him. Unfortunately, he had some unexpected circumstances come up, and he couldn't show up this weekend. And I'm, I'm sorry about that because John, John has a unique uh, calling and ministry called liminal space, okay? And, and he deals with just some of these very issues. And so I asked John just a few days ago, three days ago, I said, would you be willing to make a short video, just a simple thing, and just, just, just share with us what your ministry is about because it's down here in Edmonds and so it's close. And if this is something that resonates with you, you could actually tap into this, but... Um, I I wanted to introduce you to John, and just hear his heart about some of these matters. I think you're gonna enjoy this, so let's watch uh, what he he shared with us and sent us, okay?
1: Hello, North Shore Christian, my name is John DeWall. I am the executive director and life transition guide for an organization called Liminal Space. We are located in Edmonds, Washington, and our work is to come alongside those navigating major life transitions. The word liminal means threshold in Latin, so when you think about all the times in life where there's been significant change and disruption, uh, graduating school, uh, a marriage, a child, uh, more kids entering the family, career discontent, uh, divorce, loss of any kind, a major health crisis, empty nesting, retirement, those are all spaces of transition. Those are all moments of uh, profound questions, uncertainty, ambiguity, fear, worry, but also opportunities. Um, And my work in Seasons of Change and Transition is to help people stay with the questions and listen to them, to stay open and curious. It's not about teaching techniques. It's not about giving them the 10 ways to get out of a season of transition. Um, It is about listening. It is about discerning what your life is inviting. And I believe God invites uh, places, invitations within every single transition. We just need to learn how to see and read those clues. So so much of about so much of how we move through a transition is the approach that we have been taking. The approach that we take to learn and discover our lives. For many of us we don't think about those things. We don't think about well, what is my approach as I'm moving through a transition. No, we rather get through them as quickly as possible believing that what's really good is on the other side. And I believe the lesson of every wilderness experience is that the gold, the really good stuff, the treasure, is actually in the transition itself. It's in the wilderness. That's what God's invitation to Israel was. This is about a relationship between you and me. And I want you to discover stuff about yourself that's so true. And there are things about the last story that you were in that perhaps weren't and need to be rattled a little bit, need to be shaken to their foundation, because that's what happens during transition. Things get rattled and shaken. And so the work is to discover what it is that God's wanting us to see more clearly about reality, about how we truly are as His created beings, and to be in relationship with ourselves, Him, and ultimately our neighbors in the world around us. That those things come into more clear focus. There's two factors that I think help us discover more fully our our calling and step more further into uh, into the glory of what God's inviting in our life uh, and the world. And I think those are self-honesty and community. They're the two that I think uh, most of us are challenged by with regards to self-honesty. Those are all questions related to who are you? What is your story? What are the patterns that make up your life? Patterns that reveal places that are really your good, your, your strengths, your talents, the way you contribute, the way you fingerprint your life on those around you. You're doing it anyway. The work of transition is to own what that is. It's to own that you have a particular way of being in the world that is you to honestly assess what those things are. And maybe for some of us there's things that we need to own that have allowed us to hide, to avoid, to run away. And so part of the conversation of self-honesty is to also own those things. What are the things in your life that are just too difficult to face? The stories that you don't want to spend time with? The parts that, that you feel are dark, uh, that hold messiness, that you would rather sweep under the rug or avoid avoid entirely. I think the invitation of many transitions is to explore both our glory and our shadow, and that's the work of self-honesty. The work of community is to invite people in to help us see more clearly who we are and what this story is all about. We can't go through transitions alone. We need others to help see more clearly. I had a client recently who was in that space of transition and exploring their calling in the world, and I challenged her to do a very brave thing. Asked 12 colleagues and friends to speak about what they believed she was good at and what they saw for her future. They all came back saying profound truths and they were very much the same. One person said it best. He said, though I keep seeing you choose jobs that let you hide, I see you come alive when you're leading others. There are so many stories that she could tell me where she felt invisible and chose jobs where she really was. She was tucked away in the back corner of an office working as an assistant feeling very hollow and unseen. And there are many stories where she could also tell me where she came alive doing things that were about leadership. And so part of the conversation to discover more fully, what is this calling? What is this what is this thing within her that wants to come alive that she has made choices that have avoided that for a variety of different reasons? But there are a lot of themes in her story that were telling her, I am unseen, my voice doesn't matter, and I don't know what I want stories from her childhood patterns that were established long ago beliefs that told her that this is who you are and yet there was something true true inside her that was begging to be noticed and seen and, and heard her glory what God wanted her to see and come alive in and so the work was always about in that season of transition of, of owning what's really true about her heart what she wants what God's inviting as well as those places that have resulted in hiding and avoiding. Both are true. I think the sign of maturity for any person is to learn that they're, they're are both present, they're, 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 they're both there, and we need to learn how to hold those. One of the things that's really difficult with in callings and careers is when we come into tension and conflict with someone, especially within our careers, the places where we create and spend a majority of our day. I always say to uh, to people, wherever two or three are gathered, it's an absolute mess. <laughs> no matter it's church or some place of work or a home or a family, wherever two or three are gathered, it's a mess. Um, for you, if you are in a season of mess, if you are in conflict with anyone, um, if there is a place of tension within your workplace or within your home or wherever you find yourself working out your calling, what I would first encourage you is don't resolve it. Don't resolve it until you've understood it. Your work is to try to understand what is going on and come back to those two factors of self-honesty and community. Is there a role that you played to get to this point in the relationship that you need to be honest about? And perhaps you can't see it by yourself. You need people to see it with you. You need people to ponder the circumstances and the questions with you. So my encouragement for you would be to invite a few trusted advisors who are not going to just tell you what to do or where you're wrong, but they're willing to listen with you and ask better questions and together discover what, it's, what this circumstance or this relationship is inviting you to become more. My hunch is, is that every circumstance is going to invite you to become more human, more courageous, more vulnerable, more truthful. May that be the story you step into, whatever the toxic, tension-filled, conflict-ridden circumstances are. Those are my words for you this morning. There's so much more I could say and so much more I would want to say. Maybe there'll be a time for that in the future. But I'll leave you with this one verse um, in John 10.10. I love it, and it's so relevant to transition. Uh, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come so that you may know life and life to the full. Those are uh, the words of Jesus. Within every single season of change and transition, where callings can best be heard, there are forces working to steal, kill, and destroy. And there are forces also working to reveal your good, to help you come alive. Your job is to become acutely aware of what's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And where is God inviting you to life and life to the full? That's what he wants for each of us to live our lives in such a way where we are thriving and revealing the glory that he placed inside of us. That is my invitation to you this morning. Listen well to your life. Listen well to the circumstances of your change and your transition and come alive. Blessings.
0: It's a good word, isn't it? Maybe one of these days, yeah. One of these days we'll have him come and share with us in person. By the way, if you want to explore a little bit more about Liminal Space, you can go on their website. It's just theliminalspace.org. Uh, like I mentioned it's down in Edmonds. I know that John conducts uh, not just you know, one-on-one, but he does a lot of workshops. So more in a group setting along some of these themes and, and helping folks to, to sort through that. So you may want to check that out. Um, you know, it might be helpful in, in the days ahead. Um, you know, as we wind down, I want to kind of do what even John suggested which was to take you to a place where maybe to ask a few questions. These might be pertinent, they, they might not, uh, you'll know in your heart, but this is the kind of exercise that we wanna do is just to ask ourselves some honest questions, to be real. And as you're kind of exploring, and if, if in fact you've been taken to a place today where you know specifically some of the, the dynamics going on and you know they've been unsettling and perhaps they're eating away at the, the satisfaction or fulfillment of your work, Maybe some of these things that even we've identified between Paul and Barnabas, um, they might be factors. But uh, here's a few questions. If you're looking at your notes, I just want to guide you through. Just kind of contemplate this with me uh, for a moment. Do I trust my boss and my coworkers? Do I trust my boss and my coworkers? Has anything damaged that trust? Has there been an instance or an episode? Uh, if that continues on and if it's allowed to go unchecked, I think, friends, it can really impact the dynamics uh, of that relationship and ultimately uh, the place you know, of which we're, you're trying to carry out this calling. Remember, in all we do, we want to glorify God. We want to do it with thanksgiving, and that may be impacting that. Do I attack people perceived to be more skilled than me? That could be an indication there's some issues of, of security and insecurity. That perhaps uh, you've watched these things that we described and you've allowed them to settle in. Don't let them get to a place of bitterness or resentment. That's a a very, very dangerous spiritual place to be. But but maybe this is something that's been carrying out. The Lord wants to speak to us about that today, to yield that to him. The third one, do I get angry when I don't receive recognition? That too saying is something about our self-worth. Have we found it in Christ Jesus? Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ so that I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. You know, it's hard for a person that's sold out completely to the the will of Christ to be offended by anything, you know, really. Uh, It's all Christ. Um, So it's something to pay attention to. Fourthly, am I honestly giving my best effort? At the end of the day, uh, you might not be as productive as you wanted to be or, uh, or as successful maybe as you think you could have possibly been, but you know you gave it your best. You weren't slouching. You weren't lazy. You weren't cheating. Um, and so you're, you have a clear conscience toward uh, the work that God has called you to do. Here's one. Uh, would my coworkers say, I was tempted to just leave that blank. <laughs> what would your coworkers say about you? The line that I put in there was, am I an example of humility and patience? Those are both spiritual qualities, would you agree? And hopefully if we're glorifying him and we're doing it for Jesus and Jesus lives in us, those are the things that should be displayed. Would others see that? And you can even fill in the blanks of other things that you hope uh, that they they would see. This this could go on and on and on. I could have gone on for a full hour probably with just questions like this. But this is kind of what John's describing about just being self-honest. you know what, What's the reality that is going on? Can I just leave you just with a few thoughts and principles to tuck away, not just for today, but this entire uh, series. You have heard me say uh, on a number of occasions, hurt people, hurt people. When, when, when somebody's working out of a place of damaged heart or emotions, maybe some memories from way back and things like that, and all of a sudden you get the brunt of that, but you don't know where that place is coming from, often it's because they're simply hurt. If you get to know them or you find out about them, you will most likely identify a hurt if they tend to throw things or hurl things, spears at you that are hurtful. Hurt people hurt people. Now, look at the other side of this. Healthy people help people. Healthy people help people. And, and if you, you could get to that uh, healthier place in your walk with the Lord, you're gonna find that there's gonna be ways in which you actually look for ways to, to encourage or to lift up. In fact, that's the second thing. Do, um, look daily at, at ways that you can encourage them. This has to be intentional. I gotta, I gotta say that again, it has to be intentional. Most of us in this room probably don't do something like this naturally. We're not named Barnabas. You know, we're not sons of encouragement. Sometimes we gravitate or, or default into the more of the negative or the critical mode. We talked about gossip last week, didn't we? And how you disparage somebody in somebody else's eyes. That's what it is. You're not telling them to their face, you're telling somebody else about things that you feel. And, and that just has no place in the life of a follower of Christ. Paul, Paul often was saying, be, be people of encouragement. Only let those things come out of your mouth that are gonna be for the building them up. And we do that intentionally. Third thing is, is to speak the truth in love. Because I know probably some of you are thinking, you know, uh, when I say something, I'm just telling it like it is. Have you ever heard that? I'm just gonna tell it like it is, or I'm gonna gonna speak the truth. The problem is that little word love. Are you doing it in love? That's the key. Do they know that you're doing it out of love? I got a lot of people who like to speak the truth to me. (laughs) It's just that other part that sometimes I wonder about. Do they really want it for my building up, or my edification, or are they just getting something off their chest? Paul actually spoke this word in connection with maturity. If you read Ephesians 4, where that phrase comes up, it it had to do with maturity. And he said, as we grow up into Christ and all things that Christ is, the next word he says is speak the truth in love. So what does that suggest? Does that suggest that maybe if we're acting like children, that we won't do that? That we, we're, gonna, we're gonna tell somebody else about that? We won't go to their face? We don't have the courage to, we don't have the boldness to speak the truth and maybe we question our love, whether it's coming out of that right place. But Paul says when we do that, that's how we're gonna build the body and that, that happens at church, that happens at work, it happens in our family, uh, speaking the truth. And then the last thing I wanna just wind up today with. There's stuff that's happened. Maybe you're in the thick of it right now. Maybe you're still you know, kind of in the uh, the aftermath of a train wreck that just relationally has just, just really damaged your heart. Maybe there's a boss that, that threw you under the bus and, and you just have not been able to trust any, anybody that, that is over you. Um, maybe you had a friend that you actually were working side by side and something happened to, to damage that relationship. And it, it, it only spawned an insecurity and fear uh, in your heart, and you're still, you're still kind of caught up in that. Today, there's one answer that I think the scripture describes, and that is, that is the word forgiveness. And I'm going to say this, guys, and I've said it before when we talk about this subject, it is not hard to do this, it's impossible. It's impossible to do this without the Spirit of Christ abiding in our hearts. We forgive because he first forgave us. And if you have been one of those forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to the very words that Paul shared to these Colossians, just a few verses before those that I read. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you that says it all has as God forgiven you have you been under that blessing of his his forgiveness and then he says if that's the case he says listen to this so you also must forgive I don't know if I ever noticed that before you must forgive, this isn't an option. This isn't a, just a good idea. This is really more in the form of a command. Why is it? Because Jesus made it clear through an illustration he gave about a man who forgave an insurmountable debt to somebody and then what did he turn around? He went out and he took somebody by, by the throat and he says, you pay me back a fraction of what he, he, was, he was forgiven of. And Jesus said, you know, the master found this out and all of a sudden he brings all the old debt back on him. Friends, you can do your own inference there, but all I know is this is serious business. We can't continue hanging on to that resentment or the bitterness and relationally uh, do everything you can do. Now, in some cases, the party that you're maybe thinking of, they won't be reciprocal. That's why Romans says, as much as it's up to us, live at peace. There is a, there's two parts to this. Not everybody will necessarily respond, but you do in your heart what God instructs you to do. So today. We're gonna even get more practical. There's a card in the, worship or the pamphlet that you got on the way in. And, um, and you can see a couple of verses that we just referred to uh, that are on there. But it looks like this, okay? And what I want you to do as we close out today, would you take a few quiet moments? Our worship team's gonna come up and, and guide us in a closing song, and, and they'll just kinda of quietly be behind this. But would you take a few moments and write a prayer out for the most challenging person or relationship that, that right now is happening. If it's in your work uh, environment or uh, you know, your job, even more pointed, write, write out a prayer. Own something that maybe God's revealed to you today. Confess it through that prayer. Ask God that, uh, that maybe he will heal that relationship, that he would bring that about. I, uh, I kind of alluded to it last night, but I asked permission. I didn't ask permission before last night, so now I feel the more freedom to share. But before I, I close, I heard such a cool story last night, and I have to attribute this to, to Joe back here, our mandolin player. And uh, we, were, we were just talking, and, and he said, you know, he had a guy at work where he was at, and, and he said, you know, I want to be Christ-like. I want to honor God at my work, and so I pray for my people, but there's one guy that I just did not like. I couldn't pray for him. And he, he, last night he was even telling me that the Lord spoke and said, maybe it's about you. And, and so as he kind of moved down that track, he began to talk to the Lord about it. All of a sudden, an opportunity came up with this guy to where they were talking about the Lord, and this guy kind of jumped in. One thing led to the other, and he said, hey, could I go to church with you? This guy asked Joe. He came, met Jesus as a savior, and now he's, uh, on a lot of our weekends, he's playing guitar up here, leading us in our worship. But it all all went back to probably just what I'm asking you to do. Would you be willing to pray for that person and even put it down? Tuck it away someplace and go back to it. So I'm going to give you a few moments to do that, okay? Just in the quiet of the moment, think about this. Let the Lord speak to your heart. And then in uh, just a few moments, Josh will lead us in a closing song. All right, let's do that.